Good morning, Faith family. Happy Easter to you. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to John chapter 11? While you're turning to John 11, let me just say, if you're here with us for the first time, if you're a guest with us, I can't begin to tell you how excited we are that you have come to worship with us. Uh, we're a pretty fun group around here, man. We're fired up about Jesus. Amen? We um, are excited about the gospel. We think this is the greatest news in the world. I want you to know I'm absolutely convinced that this is true. And um, those that, that come here pretty regularly will tell you that normally I'm really calm. <laughs> very laid back. I don't get very excited. But this morning, this is the greatest news in the world. I'm convinced that it's true, and I'm convinced that it can change your life forever. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to do a shameless plug uh, before we get to John 11. If you're a guest with us this morning, I want to personally invite you back next week as we're going to be starting a series that we're calling Hope Restored. And I don't know about you, but I talk to a lot of people that are searching for hope. I mean, when you look around at the things that we deal with on a consistent basis, it's very easy to lose your hope. And we're going to walk through a book in the Bible that's going to be all about building our hope, rebuilding our hope in God. So would you please come back and be a part of that series with us? Because we want you to live life with hope. All right. This morning we're in John 11. We've been in a series the last few weeks that we've called I Am. And this morning we're looking at I Am the Resurrection and the life. So would you please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word? We're convinced these words come to us with the very authority of God. Listen to John 11 verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb 4 days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem about 2 miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Would you pray with me? Father, these are the words of life. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this gospel, this good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Meet us here this morning. Speak to us. Change us. Give us life. We ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Touchdown, Steelers. Those were the words 
coming out of the TV in the room. And there was James in his favorite position, seated in his favorite recliner, TV remote in hand, dressed in his Pittsburgh Steelers pajamas, covered head to toe in his Pittsburgh Steelers blanket, watching the game on the TV. Now, if you knew James, you wouldn't think that unusual at all. James had been a Steelers fan all his life, and he never, ever missed watching a game. But what you would have found strange was the fact that James was not watching the game in his living room. He wasn't even watching the game in his basement or over at a friend's house. James was watching the game at Costin's funeral home. And it was his funeral. You see, James Henry Smith was dead. You see, what happened was his family decided for his funeral to decorate the funeral home like his living room. Instead of a casket, they brought in his favorite recliner. Instead of flowers, they decorated in Steelers merchandise. Instead of putting him in a suit, they dressed him in Pittsburgh Steelers pajamas. And there, as the family and friends came together for the funeral, was James in his recliner watching the game. Now, let's be honest. For most of us, that would be a little awkward. I say most of us because knowing some of you the way I do, I will not be surprised if at your funeral you are dressed in Vikings. And I get it, a Viking season's a lot like a funeral, so I'm, I, totally, <laughs> I totally get it. I'm even wearing Vikings colors, right? I totally get it. And for the record, if you ask me to do your funeral, which you probably won't now, I will make fun of you, all right? Because most of us would find that kind of thing odd, a little strange. But what resonated with me was what his wife said when she was asked why she did it. She said this, quote, I did everything I could to find peace. Now, regardless of what you think about that expression, that desire is common and human. It's why at a funeral we want the loved one to look peaceful. We want the pastor to say what? Words of comfort. We like to think about our loved one in a better place. In other words, anytime we're faced with crisis, particularly death, we search for anything or anyone to give us peace. That's true for all of us. And that's why we ought to resonate and relate very much with what's going on in John chapter 11. Because in John 11, we are introduced to a man by the name of Lazarus who's on his deathbed. The family has been called together like many of you have before because things are not looking good at all. Mary and Martha, 
His sisters are in a panic. They're in a crisis. They know things do not look good. And so they're crying out for peace. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Notice, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, this is very important, he whom you love is ill. Mary and Martha understand very much the urgency of this situation. This is life and death, literally. And they know who to call. It's not Ghostbusters, it's Jesus. They know His power. They've seen His miracles. They know He can do anything. Which is why what happens next is so strange. One day passes. Another day passes. Another day passes. And there's this sense of, where are you, Jesus? We called for you. What in the world could be taking you so long? Did you forget to set your clock forward? Was the line at Starbucks long that morning and you got delayed? Did you run into the dark night from Monty Python and the Holy Grail and he won't let you pass? Or maybe it's March and out of nowhere comes ten inches of snow. Only in Minnesota, right? But for whatever is causing this delay, come on, it's Jesus. It's got to be for a good reason, right? Jesus would certainly understand the importance of this situation and come right away. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. In the place where he was. That's not the response we expect from Jesus. Jesus has, after all, built a ministry on being the kind of person that will help you in your moment of need. Add to that that the text repeatedly says that Lazarus is the one he loves. And then it gets even more strange. In verse 15... When Jesus finally arrives, he says, I am sure glad I wasn't here when he died. It's just strange. It's totally weird. What are you doing, Jesus? Let me see if I can emotionally bring you into this story. I want you to think about right now the person you love the most. Who is that? Who's the person you love the most? Now imagine that they're in ICU. And things do not look good at all. And you call your doctor, who also happens to be a personal family friend. And your doctor decides to play an extra round of golf. And your loved one dies. And then, the doctor, who's also a friend, has the nerve to show up at the funeral and say, I sure am glad I didn't make it on time. How would you feel? 
You'd be outraged. You'd be furious. There's this sense of, I called for you. Where are you? If I call for Jesus, I expect him to come right away. We're like the the lady in Oregon, true story, who heard a robber breaking into her basement. She picks up her phone. She calls 911 and gets a menu. Hangs up, pulls out the phone book, looks up donut shops, calls the first donut shop she finds and says, are there any police officers there? Sorry for the stereotype, police officers. The lady on the other end says there happens to be several police officers here. Would you like to talk to one? She said, I sure would. Gets one on the line. She tells the police officer her situation. He leaves immediately and catches the robber before he gets away. Now, that woman's thinking was this. If I call a donut shop, a police officer will be there. And if I tell that police officer my situation, they will come immediately. And that's exactly what they expect from Jesus. And so do we. So why is Jesus delayed? Well, according to John chapter 10, we know that Jesus is in the region of Peria. It's right across from the Jordan. You'll notice on this map here that it's a good distance from Jerusalem. Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. You don't just hop on the first nonstop flight to Jerusalem. It's about a four-day journey. Lazarus dies two days after Jesus gets the news, which if you do your math means if Jesus would have left immediately when he hears the news, he still would have missed it by two days. And so he waits. He waits so that he arrives four days after Lazarus has died. Now, There's historical significance there that we don't have the time for this morning. Let me just put it this way. Jesus is making absolutely certain that everybody knows Lazarus is dead. There is no denying whatsoever this guy's dead. He's been dead four days. Here's what we need to take away from this. Look at me, please, dear friends. Jesus always has a plan. Always. Regardless of what your emotions tell you, regardless of what you've experienced in life, regardless of what human reasoning may tell you, regardless of what your divine expectations are, Jesus always has a plan. And you say, well, I don't like his plan. (laughs) That's fair. I resonate with that. But I like what J. Vernon McGee said. He said this, quote, this is God's universe. He does things His way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. (laughs) Amen? I resonate so much, and I'm sure you do, with the feeling that sometimes God's ways are strange. Sometimes it's very difficult to make sense out of what He's doing, and you're not alone. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But notice, Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
And now verse 37, the rest of the family and friends and the mourners that had gathered together said this, Could not He who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? One of the things I love about the Bible is it lets you be very raw with your emotion. Isn't that right, faith family? Don't we talk a lot here about the fact that we come in here and we're real? There are times in your life when you're disappointed with Jesus. Why weren't you here? Jesus, you could have done something. I don't, I don't understand. I so believe in your power. So why didn't you get here in time? You ever been disappointed with God? Or maybe you're distant. Did you notice that Mary didn't come out immediately like Martha? Oh, you talk about real. We're about to get real. Some of you here, over the last several months, over the last several years, you have become more and more and more distant from God because something or some things have happened in your life that you couldn't understand and you simply don't want to go out and meet Him. There may be some of you here and you're like those mourners and you're doubting. I'm not really sure He is who He says He is. The Bible shows us the raw emotion of people who do not understand the ways of Jesus. Let me ask you, have you ever been disappointed with God or disappointed with His timing in your life? Man, I should have been married by now. I should have had children by now. He died too soon. My career ended too quickly. How in the world can the God who created time be so late? Which raises this issue. All eyes right here. One of the tensions we have to resolve in this text is this. How can I be assured God loves me? How can I be assured that God really cares? Here's where I get it in the text right here. Repeatedly you say, Lazarus is the one you love. So where were you? You say you love Lazarus, but you weren't here. And Jesus is going to give them something that is going to assure them that you never, ever, ever, no matter what you've gone through, have to doubt His love. And He's going to give that assurance to them in a resurrection. And that's not the only issue, the only problem, the only unresolved tension in this text. The second one is in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Right here, here are the problems. Problem number one, you say you love Lazarus, then where in the world were you? Problem number two, our brother is dead. You're late, Jesus. The game's over. The buzzer sounded. The fat lady sang, pick your cliche. But you're late, and it's over. Which raises a very real issue for us. 
namely the reality of death. No, 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 I understand that this is not something we typically like to talk about or even like to think about. We, we do everything we can to push this off. We exercise, we eat right, we, some of you eat kale. <laughs> Why? It's the most disgusting, anyways. We drive cars with like 30 airbags. Some of you, like Pastor Terry, drink muscle milk, Right? It's true. I mean, just look at him. The results are obvious. All right. So, <laughs> we do. Yeah, I'm going to get paid back for that one. We do everything we can to avoid death, to avoid talking about death. But I told you when you come in here, we're real. Your fate, my fate is the same as Lazarus. We will die. And not only will we die physically, Lazarus is also a picture for us of spiritual death as well. In other words, death is not just where we're headed. Death is who we are. Follow along. Listen to the Lazarus language in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were Lazarus. Dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, say it with me, is death. In other words, be honest, we like Lazarus will die physically, and we are like Lazarus dead spiritually because of sin. That is who we are. Which is why what we see happen next in John 11 is the greatest news in the world. It's why I'm yelling. It's why I'm excited. It's why I may come off this stage. Because Jesus has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to breathe life into our dead bones. Because what happens Next, Jesus arrives in Bethany, and there is a standoff so intense, Clint Eastwood would wet his pants. He'd be shaking in his boots as Jesus comes face to face with death, and it's on. Like the old linebacker used to say to opposing quarterbacks, I'm about to slap you naked and hide your clothes. It is on. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In other words, Jesus gets angry. Because the Greek there is the picture of an angry horse. This righteous anger starts to build up in Jesus. And he can't take it anymore. It's like in the movie Lincoln when they're gathered there at the table and they're arguing back and forth and they're debating over all these different things. And Lincoln just sits there and he takes it in. And he takes it in until finally he's had enough. I can't listen to this anymore. I can't accomplish thing of any human meaning or worth until we cure ourselves of slavery 
and end this pestilential war. And whether any of you or anyone else knows it, I know I need this. This amendment is that cure. We're stepped out upon the world stage now. Now! With the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilt to afford us this moment. Now! 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 And you grousel and heckle and dodge about like pettifogging Tammany Hall hucksters. See what is before you. See the here and now. That's the hardest thing. The only thing that accounts. Abolishing slavery by constitutional provision settles the fate for all coming time. Not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. You see the fire in his eyes. The resolve in the spirit. I can't take this anymore. And Jesus sees their weeping. And he's going to deal with this issue now, now, now. And his anger turns to sorrow. In verse 35, as he begins to weep. Verse 39, he says, remove the stone. And they said, no, no, Jesus, you don't understand. He's been dead four days. There'll be a smell. As the King James Version says, Lord, he stinketh. And Jesus said, did I not tell you, you will see the glory of God. And they rolled back that stone and a voice that every time it speaks makes hell tremble said, Lazarus. Come forth. And Augustine said, had Jesus not used the name Lazarus, all the graves would have opened. And out walks a man who was dead and has just been given new life. The point, death may not be able to be avoided, but it doesn't mean death can't be defeated. And that's not just true physically. It's also true Spiritually, listen to the Lazarus language of Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were Lazarus, dead in our trespasses, made us Lazarus, alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And Lazarus raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right here, Christian, if you're here this morning and you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, would you celebrate with me that there was a time when you were dead there was a time when there was no life in you for God whatsoever. There was no hope. There was no peace. There was nothing but a blind person having no idea where they were going in life. And all of a sudden, Jesus came in and said, Come forth. And life was breathed into you. And though you once were dead, you experienced resurrection. Would you celebrate that with me this morning if that's true for you? 
you. Hallelujah. Praise God. And you were just like Lazarus, like, what the just happened to me? And your life was changed forever in Jesus Christ. Oh, what a celebration we have today. Amen? The problem of John chapter 11 is this. There are two. How can I be assured God loves me? That's a real question. Because you say you love Lazarus, but where were you? Problem two, our brother's dead. How can I be assured of victory over death? This looks to be over. And the answer, listen, to both of those questions is resurrection. Now here's what some of you are thinking. I know you're thinking this because I've already had some people from previous services come up to me and say, you're exactly right. It's what I was thinking. Aren't we supposed to be talking about Jesus' resurrection? Psst. Tell the pastor it's Easter. <laughs> he only does this once a year and he's preaching on the wrong resurrection. feel sorry for the guy. <laughs> Actually, you don't understand Easter if you don't understand this passage. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Notice what she says. Martha said to him, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She thinks it's an event. Yeah, it'll, it'll happen in the future. The day of resurrection. Answer. Jesus said to her, I am. I am. I am. Am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In other words, you've got to get this. The resurrection of Lazarus is pointing you to something greater. It's the appetizer before the steak comes out. It's the preview before you watch the whole movie. John 11 is foreshadowing John 19 and 20. Because what happens in John 19 and John chapter 20? Jesus arrives not in Bethany, but at Calvary. And there is another standoff so intense that hell will tremble. Only this time Jesus personally will face death. As the righteous anger of His Father will be poured out on Him for our sins. And like Lazarus, they will take His body and they will wrap it up and they will place it in a tomb. And just like in John 11, there's another Mary who's weeping because her loved one has died. And there's another group of mourners 
called disciples who are thinking, is he really the one? And then there's a voice. Oh, a voice. The voice of a father. A voice that every time it speaks, it makes hell shudder. And that voice says, not Lazarus come forth, but Jesus come forth in a body that had been dead for three days starts to twitch and eyes that have been sealed with the crust of blood open and a stone is rolled away and out walks a man not with new life, out walks the resurrection and the life. The resurrection of Lazarus is pointing you to Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And this is why we so often misunderstand Easter. Listen. Far too often we're just like Martha. We think Easter was an event. We think the resurrection is only an event. Now you hear me, it is an event. Historically accurate. That happened in time and place. Are you listening? There was a real, physical, bodily resurrection. But if you think it's just an event, you don't understand Easter. Easter is a person! It's Jesus Christ. Resurrection is an event, but it's more than an event. It's a person. I am the resurrection and the life. And faith family here at Berean, is that not what we've been talking about for the last several weeks with I am? Do you want water that can wash your guilty past away? I am living water. Do you want bread that will satisfy your soul forever? I am the bread of life. Do you want true, authentic, spiritual life? I am the true vine. Do you want peace and life and victory over death? I am the resurrection and the life. It's about a person. It's about a person. It's about a person. And if you don't know Him, you don't get water, you don't have bread, and you will not have everlasting life. And that makes everything make sense in this passage. Because what are the questions? What's the tension? What's the issue that has to be resolved right here, right here, right here? How can I be assured God loves me? Answer, Jesus Christ. You may not understand His ways, but you don't ever have to doubt His love because of Jesus Christ. Christ. Resurrection. No matter what hell you're going through or hell you've been through, all you have to do is look at the cross. All you have to do is look at the empty tomb. All you have to do is look to Jesus Christ for all the assurance you need that He loves you. He really loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. 
Because of the resurrection, you don't ever have to doubt again. And the other problem? How can I be assured that there is victory over death? Answer, Jesus Christ. For what does Jesus say here in John 11? Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. Is that not like the greatest news in the world? Hello. Death. I'm not looking forward to you. But I ain't scared of you. Because though I die, yet I live. How do you know? Jesus. For whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have, say it with me, everlasting life. And I don't know of two questions. You talk about being relevant. I don't know of two more questions more relevant to you today than how can you know God loves you and how can you be assured of victory over death? And the answer is Jesus. Now, I'll close with this. And it's extremely important. If Easter is about a person, if resurrection is a person, then it has to become personal. At some point, this is no longer about a holiday. At some point, it's really not even about one Sunday a year. At some point, it's not about something you kind of mark on the calendar a few years out. At some point, it's not a theological category like it was for Martha. At some point, it becomes personal if you're ever going to celebrate Easter. Look at verse 26. We close with this. Now notice how this shifts in Martha. Jesus says, Everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. In other words, this is huge. Watch the shift. It went away from, yeah, that's something that's going to happen in an event one day, to I trust You. I believe You. You are the answer to the question of my life. I don't care about your good works. I don't care about your morality. I don't care about how often you're at church or not at church. What I care this morning is that you know resurrection personally. That you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because until that happens, Easter doesn't mean a thing. And so I invite you to do three things with me this morning. Number one, see yourself as dead. Come on, Lazarus, be honest. Spiritually, you are dead. There's no love for God. There's no relationship with God because of sin. The good news is, number two, Jesus is life. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He rose from the grave, and that He is life? 
And thirdly, that you would receive Jesus as your life by faith. That you would say today, I want Jesus. I want life. I believe in Him. I repent of my sin and I trust Him. I put my life under His Lordship. And if you do that today, Jesus says to you, come forth. And He changes you and you become a new individual, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Listen, everybody, I declare to you as sure as I am standing here, Jesus is resurrection and life. And that is what Easter is all about. And a day is going to come if it hasn't already, where you're going to be in crisis and you're going to need peace. A day is going to come when you're going to stare death in the face and you're going to want victory. You will not find the assurance you need in those moments in funeral decorations. And you will not be given the victory you need in those moments by your favorite sports team. You will only find peace in life and in death in the One who says this, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living One. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, thank You so much for this glorious truth. Thank You that life is found in Jesus Christ. I pray this morning for those in this room, for those who are here today, who are Christians. I pray that this will be a day of celebration as they rejoice like Lazarus. That they have been given life. That they know You that they've been forgiven of sins and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. May they celebrate today like never before. And I pray for those who are here this morning who've never experienced that life. They would be honest this morning by saying, I have no relationship with God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that just as You did with Lazarus, that You would bring new life. That You would bring resurrection through Jesus Christ, would you work in us? Would you do what only you can do? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.